This is the Thrive Podcast with Shiloh Missionary Baptist Church. And now, Pastor Fred Jeff Smith. Hello, and welcome to the 20th episode of the Thrive Podcast with the Shiloh Missionary Baptist Church. I'm Fred Jeff Smith, pastor of Shiloh, and I'm very happy that you took the time to either view or listen to this week's podcast. And I'm very delighted to have as my guest today, Mr. Sailor Jackson, Jr. Mr. Jackson is the former deputy director of voter outreach for the Secretary of State. He also served as director of archives for the state of Louisiana, archiving historical video and pictures. He was recently honored by the Baton Rouge Area Association of Black Journalists as a pioneer in the media and was instrumental in creating the Eddie Robinson Museum on the campus of Grambling State University. He's also the director and producer of JAG Vision, the filming of Southern University home football games, and I'm pretty sure other Southern University athletic events as well. Mr. Jackson, thank you for taking the time to be with us today. Thank you for having me, and it's my pleasure to be here. Tell us a little bit about you. I I just gave a a brief bio. Tell us a little bit about you. You you were telling me before we got started (laughs) about the fact that that, that you are from Bogalusa, and how did you make the trek from Bogalusa to Baton Rouge? Oh, it's a roundabout way, but um, I I was um, actually, uh, I worked at Crown Zellerback Paper Mill in Bogalusa for a long time, and then after I did that, uh, things just didn't work out, so I left and I uh, moved to Monroe, where I started going to school at Northeast Louisiana University, which is now ULM. Yes, sir. And uh, from there, uh, I was blessed. Uh, I found a job at uh, KNOE TV and after working there and going to school uh, uh, I worked at that television station and I did a number of things uh, mm-hmm. that I like doing I uh, did radio did TV uh, reported I, I did documentaries I did investigative piece I did sports uh, it was uh, it was a learning experience at that particular station yes sir and then I left from there uh, just so happens, a uh, television station here, WBRZ, saw some of my work, mm-hmm. and uh, a guy by the name of uh, Bob Courtney, uh, you might know him. I remember uh, He and I used to run into each other doing different stories up in that area, mm-hmm. and he mentioned to John Spain, who was the news director there, mm-hmm. that he might be interested in hiring me, and he did. So that was in 1979 when I came here. Okay. So that's how I got here. 1979. I can finally say to somebody, that makes me feel a little young. Because in 1979, that, that was the year I graduated from high school, from Baton Rouge High Magnet School. Uh, <laughs> but uh, it sounds like you've had an illustrious career. Uh, the fact that you're able to be both a Gramlinite and a Southernite in a city where uh, you usually have to pick one side or the other, you're in a unique position. Uh, yes, uh, that very much so, I, I think. Uh, when I first came here, um, I started um, doing football, uh, shooting football, uh, high school and college football. But I used to shoot, I shot some L- some LSU, uh, but I really enjoyed doing the Southern football. Mm-hmm. So, and uh, I ended up being the uh, sports photographer for uh, with a good friend of mine who has since deceased by the name of uh, Greg Brichel. Yes. And Greg and I and another uh, photographer by the name of uh, Al Eastman. Uh, who's gone on to, uh, he works for TNT, Turner Networks. He's been there for a while. Mm -hmm. And I had another friend of mine who also worked with us by the name of Abram McGull. 
uh, and uh, all of us, we formed a, a, a little company called Saga, Saga mm -hmm. Communications. And we used to do some things in, in the area, a lot of sports shows and mm -hmm. things like that. So, mm -hmm. um, and with that being said, with, with Greg and Al, and because, you know, Greg did LSU and Al did Southern and, and me having come from the Grambling area. Right. Uh, you know, we all kind of collectively uh, uh, kind of pulled ourselves together and, you know, we can be on either side. So yes, it's sir. a good thing. It is. It is. Tell me, uh, based upon recent events where we have seen uh, the connection uh, between sports and politics, sports and community issues, uh, the, the, the back and forth between the President of the United States and uh, social activism being seen in the NFL and in other sports. As a person whose background is in recording and reporting on sports events, I know that you were a part of a time when uh, athletes were far more socially conscious than we have seen in recent years. It seems like there's been a reversion back into that kind of social activism uh, in the last couple of years. Nothing to compare mm -hmm. with what uh, Muhammad Ali did or with what Jim Brown did or with what Kareem Abdul-Jabbar mm -hmm. did and others, uh, Bill Russell, uh, what, what others did. But what are your thoughts about athletes who uh, choose to get involved in social activist politics? I think that I think that's their mission too. I mean, I understand that, that this is their job and this is their livelihood, but you got to realize that if there is an injustice of any kind going on, and especially within your community, or any other community, mm -hmm. then you should take a stand. Mm -hmm. You should be able to take a stand. And if it's as peaceful as most of these have been, there should not be any repercussions from anybody like that. And I'm tell you one thing. I got a friend of mine uh, in Bogalusa who was a uh, he was a member of the Deacons of Defense. His name was uh, Willie Robinson. Mm -hmm. We called him Boo Boo. Uh, Boo Boo was like six. Five, God, about 240, 250 chisel. And I remember having the same type conversation with him. Mm -hmm. And he said, you know what? I went to Vietnam. He said, I served my country. He said, if I don't feel like standing up or saluting or whatever, I earned that right. Yes. I served in the service, too. I earned that right. My sons served in the military. Yes, sir. Uh, my brother, my uncles, my grandfather. I, I feel like this gives me the right to express my feelings about something that, that affects me directly and or indirectly at any point, anywhere I am. If, if, if I can do it there, I ought to be able to do it. And I feel the same way about the athletes. They ought to be able to express themselves as well. How, as a journalist, how does the message get lost the way that it seems to have gotten lost uh, where when Mr. Kaepernick started this uh, it was to protest uh, police violence against minorities unjust killings of uh, blacks by police officers and a failure of 
uh, the powers that be to do the appropriate follow-up investigations. Right. And, and somehow or other, it was turned into something else. How does media allow that to happen, where, well, the, where the original message of it was lost altogether? Well, you got to realize that there are different people and different, uh, especially nowadays, because you do have, quote-unquote, an alternative uh, news media, so to speak, who thrives on listening to what someone else is projecting. And, you know, when 45s put something out, they take it and they turn it without really saying, this is the reason. Mm -hmm. They know the reason. We all know the reason why uh, uh, Kaepernick was uh, protesting. But then they took it, and you got to realize the media can do a different spin on anything. And once they start taking the spin or listening or, or, or spewing out the same things that they're hearing from the other side, mm -hmm. then that's when the true meaning of what was going on gets lost. And it, it's, it's over and over and over. It's constant. That's national media. You worked for local media. You said you worked for WBRZ. Uh, I'm sure at that time it was a Manship-owned uh, company. Uh, the Advocate was owned by the Manship family. Mm -hmm. so Baton Rouge was pretty much a Manship uh, 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 conglomerate mm -hmm. when it came to uh, news media. At what point did... Uh, news programs, and I'm, and, and I'm speaking more, I guess, on the national level, but I'm sure that it seeps down to, others, to, to other uh, levels as well. At what point did news media become a profit-making venture as opposed to an information-sharing venture? You know, at, at one point, news was just about delivering the news. Right, right. Now it's about making a profit, and, and, and along with that, entertainment. And, and, and it seems that the actual reporting of news was lost when news became more about making a profit and entertainment. Am I wrong on that? No, you're not. You, you, you're right on point. Um, I, I can't really pinpoint that time, but I can tell you that with, with technology moving in the direction that it, that it moved in so quickly at one point, uh, it costs. It costs to, to send a reporter and a photographer to cover a particular story. Mm -hmm. It costs to have that, 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 that same information to get back to the station uh, faster than someone else. And I, I think that was the, 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 the basis of it really taking off and really starting to say, are you making money? Mm -hmm. Because when you do that, then you have to buy ads. People buy ads. They... If your news program is the top-rated program, you're not gonna. Pay, you don't have to worry about um, paying. You know, somebody's gonna pay more than three hundred dollars for a thirty-second spot, right. or, or something like that. And I think that television stations realize that they could really make money mm -hmm. off their news, mm -hmm. and that's when they moved in the, to that direction. I think. So then, do sponsorships uh, dictate how the news is presented? Do, do, do corporate sponsors dictate how the news is presented? And if that's the case, I think that it's a fair assumption. It is an assumption on my part. I think it's a fair assumption that most businesses, most corporations uh, are headed by conservative-leaning, conservative-thinking individuals. And if they play a role 
in determining how a story is covered and how it is presented, then it's going to be presented with a conservative skew to it. Again, does that make sense? Now, now you, you're the expert. I'm, I'm just I, speculating. I, I, I don't profess to be an expert, but I can tell you from my experience, especially when I was working at WBRZ in the early, early stages, uh, I can remember us doing a couple of stories about people who were actually sponsors within our newscast. Mm -hmm. And I can remember uh, the, the station manager saying, that's a news story, and we're going to cover what happened. And that's what we did. Mm -hmm. Even though there was a sponsor, mm -hmm. we still covered it as the news story. Now, that's the way it used to be. Okay. And, uh, uh, and I'm mentioning this guy once again, John Spain. Right. Uh, that was uh, his deal. We, we're just going to tell the story. Mm -hmm. We're going to give the facts, we're going to tell the story, and we're going to tell it right. If we can get both sides, that's what we're going to do. Okay. And that's the way it, it, it was done. Uh, one other uh, premise, too. Uh, when I worked at a, a television station in Monroe at KNOE, uh, I learned from a guy by the name of Earl Casey. Earl Casey was the news director at that time, and when he allowed me to come in and be a part of their news team, uh, I remember him literally saying, there's always two sides to the story. Mm -hmm. And your job is to tell the story from both sides. Mm -hmm. And that's always stuck with me. I always believe that there's two sides to the story, uh, whatever it may be. And I want to try to get both sides. And I don't want to lean this way, and I don't want to lean that way. I want to just tell the story and present the facts. Mm -hmm. Once you present the facts, then everybody can make up their mind as to, you know, the story itself. Okay. Uh, I appreciate that. Uh, uh, it, it, what you're essentially doing, and very, very, very kindly doing, is dispelling my myth. Uh, uh, my, my, my presumption has been that uh, conservative businesses uh, in an age when news is seen as a profit-making mm -hmm. venture uh, play a large role in determining uh, what's put on the air and how it's put on the air. Now, remember, I said during my era. I understand. Now, I understand. This era, it's a lot different because all you have to do is look at one particular um, one particular network. Mm -hmm. And you know. Uh, uh, Fox. Fox. Yeah, you, I don't mind saying it. Yeah, you, but you know how they are. They, they always slant it. It's always a slant. Right. It's always a slant. Right. Uh, Facts? What, what are you talking about, facts? Why would we let facts get in the way of a good story? Yes, yes. And, 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 and I'm pretty sure that the sponsors that they have, which they've lost some because mm -hmm. of this, the, the slanting of it, mm -hmm. but the sponsors that they have certainly are conservative, and they, they lean in that direction. And their stories and their coverage uh, dictates that and shows that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so, yeah. In your time working uh, with the Secretary of State's office, uh, you were a part of the effort to enhance voter outreach across the state of Louisiana. Mm -hmm. Tell us about that experience. You know, um, that was a passion with me. 
I, I want people to understand the importance of voting. We as a people, and I mean all people, but particularly uh, blacks, we, I think we take it for granted. Mm -hmm. uh, we, don't, we don't understand that it, you, you want to have a voice. You want to be able to say something. You want to be able to get things done. Well, the only way to do that is for you to vote. Mm -hmm. And you vote for a person or the people who have your same ideology, ideas, and, and, and the, the people that want to see things done that way. Mm -hmm. if, if you don't do that, then you've lost your voice. Uh, and to educate, and I'll put it, my deal is I love going into the schools mm -hmm. because the younger you get to them, the more they'll feel like, oh, I need to do this, I need to do that, I need to do this, I need to vote. And that grows up with you. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, we used to go all over the state, uh, uh, from Shreveport to Monroe to Alexandria to New Orleans to Bunky. I mean, we would go to all the small towns, all the big towns, and we'd go to conventions mm -hmm. throughout the state to push the education of voting and voter outreach. So uh, uh, I enjoyed it. And we also did it for private organizations. We did it for churches. We did it for uh, uh, small groups as well as large groups. Uh, we, we always say register to vote. Right. We got to have a, a, a voter registration drive. Right. We got to have, believe it or not, we the voter registration is extremely high. It's extremely high throughout the state, black, white, you name it. The biggest problem is not voting. It's not registration, it's turnout. It's turnout. It is so dismal. Mm -hmm. it, it hurts me whenever I see a statewide election and you have 10%, or 12 or 13 percent right. voting right that's ridiculous and especially for 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 us as a people yeah because you, you know what it took for you to be able to to yes, vote sir. you yes, know sir. the people that uh, when you say blood sweat and tears yes sir that's serious yes sir and and that's i don't think that's something that's that's instilled in in, in the younger younger people mm -hmm. mind the, the the worst voting age is from 18 to 34 and which is a large number. And we just don't get out, they, they don't get out and vote. I'm thinking though, with what has happened with the, uh, the shootings and, and the schools and things like that, I think that maybe this next election cycle, and especially after these kids graduate, yes. I think that might change. I hope so. I, I certainly hope that, that that's the case. Let me push back a little bit on that and, and say, while I totally agree, that uh, we need to exercise our right to vote. I try to emphasize it here uh, at Shiloh uh, as much as I can. One of the, the, the pushbacks that I hear about voting is that gerrymandered districts uh, uh, hamstring the vote process and, and do so in such a way as to dilute black voter strength. Uh, how, how, how did you handle uh, the issue of gerrymandering in your time with the Secretary of State's 
office? I, I didn't really deal with it in that, that sense, so to speak. Uh, my, my mission was to get out and to get to every place where people were uh, that wanted to have the education uh, of, of touching the machines, of getting involved with the machines, uh, giving the history, uh, giving uh, uh, demonstrations. Uh, that's what I did mostly. Mm -hmm. And um, not only that, but even for them to see just how 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 the machines worked. So you don't have to worry about, okay, man, I cast my vote. My vote's not gonna count. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. The 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 integrity of the voting process through the Secretary of State's office here in Louisiana is primo. Mm -hmm. They do their job. You got good people in good places who make sure that your vote counts. That's what they do. I, I appreciate the fact that the vote itself counts, but if you're in a gerrymandered district oh, that God. is predisposed uh, to electing a person of a particular party, of a particular philosophy, of a particular race, uh, then even though your, your vote counts and, and no one is questioning the integrity of the vote itself, it's the process that took place before the vote that becomes problematic. And, and you're absolutely right. But you know, that comes from putting people in place who have your best interests at heart as well. Mm -hmm. You know, gerrymandering is, it was created so that, in, 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 at first, so that you had a a person of color. Yes, sir. Who could actually get elected. Thank you for confirming. <laughs> I have said that any number of times. It was done to make sure that black folk could get voted into certain offices. And now people have learned how to use it, and they have flipped the script, and they have used it in order to make sure that that blacks might have these one or two spots, mm -hmm. but we're going to hold on to everything else. And it's, it's, it's a party deal, too. It's a Republican. It's a Democrat. It's just like if you're a Republican and I'm a Democrat, well, okay, you and I, we're close in this district. Well, now they're going to redistrict. Right. And when they redistrict, you know, uh, you're, you're in a seat and I'm in a seat. Well, what they're going to do is they're going to carve out this area over here to make sure right. that you get your your constituents that, that you had, your yes. base, and then they're going to do the same thing for me as well. Yes. I, and, and that's been, I've always heard that, and I've heard some people say that, mm -hmm. you know. If you, what if you had gone ahead and just said, okay, we did that this time, but you know what? We have to make it so that we just got to split it the way it should be. Mm -hmm. We don't have to have uh, part of his district down here in Baton Rouge but then you go along this edge, around this edge, around this edge. Now, your next part of your district is part of New Orleans. Yes. We know you, you understand the process, but they said, why not just do it like, it like you would think it should be done? Right. You split it, and you do that, and that way you still have a large swath of black votes. Right. But you also have a large swath of white votes. Right. So if... I ought to be able to come to you as your constituent yes. and say, look, yes. and therefore 
have you be concerned with my concerns right. as well. I, I voted for you, you're in, so therefore. And the same thing on the other end. Right. If you got whites who were uh, are in with a, a, a predominantly uh, black district, they ought to be able to come go to the representative and say, look, I, these are my concerns as well. And, and, and this guy, I, well, I wish I could think of his name, but anyway, he, he was an older guy, and he said, if we had done that, and stuck to it like that, mm -hmm. then just maybe, and he said just maybe, we wouldn't be in the situation that we're in right because now. Because what we're in right now is is a legislature that is so partisan. Oh, God. And they can, they can afford to be partisan without any fear of retribution because their districts are so heavily skewed mm -hmm. in their philosophical or political direction. Uh, and, and I would imagine, I haven't had this conversation with, with office holders, I would imagine that uh, uh, certain, certain African-American office holders don't want you to mess with that because they want to ensure their own position as well. But it would seem to me that if you're in a district as a, an African-American with a 70% uh, uh, black populace, black voting populace, and the district next to you is held by a white legislator, and his district is only 10% African-American, that legislator has no reason at all to listen to the issues of the 10% African-Americans within his district because they're not, if every one of them voted, couldn't vote him out it, of office. it would not matter. That's right. So why not give him a certain percentage of, 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 of your African-American voters? Why not let them bleed over into that? Why not draw the lines in such a way that maybe your 70% district is now 60 or 55%? black and you put that other 30 percent of, of of african americans in this district he might still win but i guarantee he's got to listen to 35 percent of the people as opposed to listening to 10 percent of the people that's a novel idea that's all i can tell you that's a novel idea because th that's not going to happen and not the way i see it right now everybody wants their territory. They want their piece of the pie. They want to be ensured that they are going to get reelected. But if you do that, you're winning to lose. You, 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 you're. If if I am a staunch conservative, voted in by a staunchly conservative district, I have no reason Don't to care. sit down with you to Don't negotiate with right. you. To, to deal make I with agree. you, I have no reason at all. And I can continue to get reelected for as long as I want because there is no constituency within my district that is large enough to threaten my incumbency. And hold you accountable for what you're doing. Yes. I, I agree with you on that. And I think that it should, that's something that should be changed and should be looked at. But how do you do that? The way you do that is I'm going back to the voting again. You educate the people on, I'm going to give you an example, quick example. You and I and Terrence are in this room. We're going to do a vote on, and then all it takes is two-thirds. Well, the issue, whatever it is, I vote yes. You and Terrence say, I don't want to vote on that. 
guess what? I just decided for both, for, for all of us. Yes. That's the way it happens during the voting situation. Mm -hmm. You have to have people who you go out, you see people that have the ideas that we have. You want to change this. You want this to do right. You want, you want to split no more gerrymandering. You have to have people, you have to vote for people who want to push that mm -hmm. and, 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 and make a change. But we don't do it. We just won't do that. I'll give you another example. Uh, President Obama, everybody went out and voted for President Obama. Right. Well, in the other elections that came behind that, where he needed somebody up there in Washington to help him, right. nobody showed up. Nobody voted for the people that still had the, the same idea or ideology that, that, that he had or that, that, that could have helped him. Nobody went out and voted for them. So who do you think he got? Yeah. What he had. Yeah. And the same way here. If we don't get out and vote for the people that have the same ideas and, 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 and same values and, and same concerns that we do, we're, we're not going to – we get what we got. I'm learning more and more about this whole district uh, – uh, the districting process that's taking place, and I know that everything hinges – census mm -hmm. uh, in 2020, but Very I also uh, have learned uh, or have been told that already within uh, state legislature, uh, there are people who are sitting down looking at maps and trying to draw districts uh, based upon their perceptions of what the census, uh, premonitions I guess I should say, of what the census is going to be uh, so that they can make sure, ensure that they keep the same majority that they have had. And if we're looking at what's going on currently in the legislature where we're about to go into a third special session uh, to deal with uh, the, 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 the tax uh, issue, the, the, the shortfall that our state government is about to face in July, and we seem to be at a stalemate as to how we're going to resolve this dilemma. And it all of it stems back from the fact that these people can vote the way that they vote with impunity. Just like what you said, when you set up the districts, this is what you get. If you do the gerrymandering, your 10% means nothing. I do my, this, my 80%, they're conservative, and this is the way I'm going to vote. Now, if it was at least 60-30 or right. even 60, I mean 60-40, right. if it was that, then there's a possibility that, well, you got to listen to got to listen to something. Yeah, you got to listen to this because there's still a possibility, even though you got that 60%, just think if your 60% doesn't turn out, but at least the 40% turns out. If they turn out, they can put you out of office. Yeah. So yeah. It, it's still a learning process. Let, let me say one other thing, too. We used to go into churches. Churches used to be the, the, I think I said this when we were talking earlier, they used to be the, the place where you, you were taught things, where you all, your information, you got good information about uh, what to do, how to do. You went to church a lot of times, uh, especially early on. This is what you're going to have to do in order to be able to vote. You're going to need this. You're going to have to learn this. You're gonna, and it was a teaching process. It was an educational process. Mm -hmm. We don't see a lot of that anymore. Mm -hmm. we, we, we just don't. 
uh, I, I don't know, uh, I haven't been into a, a real, you know, schools lately, uh, but the teaching process to me really, really starts uh, where it's where we originated from, from the church, you know, mm -hmm. our ministers, our leaders. Uh, we have to get back to that and try to educate our young people and some of our older people about the importance of getting out and vote. I don't care if it's raining. It's not raining in the polls. Yes. Uh, you, you can pick up. You can pick up a phone nowadays and call anybody. Look, man, you going to vote? Oh, no, I'm not, but could you drive me? Yeah. Uh, we can do that. Uh, and before then, and if you're a senior citizen, you know they'll mail you a ballot. They'll mail it, they'll mail it to you every, every, for every election that you're involved in. They'll mail you your ballot. And all you got to do is fill it out and send it in. Send it back. That's all. Yeah. That's all. It's an easy process. Easy process to register to vote. Mm -hmm. Easy process to vote. We just have to be diligent in performing that task. I, I certainly agree with you about the uh, church having uh, abdicated its its position, its role, uh, its leadership role in uh, helping to educate and uh, encourage mm -hmm. uh, voting. Uh, not. 100 percent but but, but, yeah. but to a large extent yeah, yeah. We, we we have lost that we've we've yielded to other groups uh, fraternities and sororities and a hundred black men and uh jack and jill and, and these other groups have picked up the mantle because the church has dropped it and left it there uh and and i certainly think that we need to get back to that because it's not just voting for candidates oh no uh, it's voting for every issue that's right uh, it, it's voting in school board that's right elections. it's voting in school tax elections. everything this state has the most regressive tax uh, uh, program uh, tax uh, ideology that you will find anywhere the idea that we're going to fund which is why we can't fund anything we're going to fund everything by sales taxes and we're not going to ask people to pay property taxes. Uh, we're not going to ask corporations to pay property taxes. They can come in and, and put together a sheet of paper and get uh, 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 removed from having to pay taxes, uh, exempted from having to, that's where I was looking for, exempted mm -hmm. from having to pay uh, corporate taxes. Uh, I, am, I am constantly told that I'm crazy when I say this. Uh, we need to get rid of the homestead exemption. $75,000 homestead exemption dates all the way back to the Huey Long administration. How does it help in the year 2018 that we won't pay our fair share in property taxes, but we have to constantly go back to ourselves and be milledged to death, a, 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 a two mil tax here, a half a penny tax there, a penny tax there. And we have to constantly have these taxes renewed because we don't have the common sense to just go ahead and pay our fair share in property taxes. I, I couldn't really address that. I hadn't looked at that. But let me tell you this. I think that when you start talking about homestead exemption, you're really messed. I mean, you know you're stepping on a whole bunch of toes. I do. I don't, I don't think that's going to be anything that's going to be addressed in the next well, just five ask, or six years. Just ask Buddy Rome. <laughs> in the next <laughs> five I'll or six years. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just saying. Yeah. But when you start talking about carpet taxes, exemptions, you know, 
sure you're going to give some exemption but you know what they say they're going to do this they're going to have this many jobs they're going to offer this they're going to do that this, they're not being held accountable no and i think that's something that i've heard a number of other legislators say they're not being held accountable for the things that they write down and say we're going to provide 30,000 we're going to provide 3500 jobs and they're going to be paying 50,000 at least $50,000 a piece uh, and then so on so on so on over the next 5 years and tied to this yes, exemption sir. yes sir it doesn't happen they get the exemption you don't get the jobs and nobody uh, holds and, them and accountable nobody, and nobody holds them accountable uh, and they are lobbied for by uh, people like lobby uh, by uh, people like Braff, by people like the Baruch, uh, uh Chamber of Commerce. Uh, these groups stand up for them and say that we need these corporate tax exemptions so that these corporations will not leave our state and go someplace else. Well, if you're not contributing to the state, the poorest state in the nation, save Mississippi, thank God for Mississippi, uh, the, the, the poorest state in the nation, uh, and, and, and you have poor roads, and you have poor infrastructure and you have poor sewage and mm. you have no access to health care and you have uh, uh, poor access to water. There's, we talk about Flint, Michigan, there are places in Louisiana that don't have uh, drinkable water as well. You don't hear a whole lot about it, which gets me back to the whole way that news is reported uh, in, in this state. But how is it in the year 2018 that that's okay and we can still give exemptions to these people and say please don't leave our state just continue to to, to bankrupt us and leave us the way that we are and, and it's okay <laughs> well I, I i couldn't answer that either but i do know uh one place you're talking about st joseph up in north louisiana yes that's the water situation uh and, and i'm like you I, this day in time i cannot understand or even phantom the fact that people don't have are not able to get clean drinking water with all the technology with all the 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 the, the wherewithal that quote-unquote we have like that we have places that can't get clean water and even in places like uh, Livingston Parish and Ascension Parish that have exploded with uh, uh, new citizens, white flight away from uh, East Baton Rouge Parish into these areas. You hear these reports on the news, boil your water before you drink it, uh, that, that there's a water alert out there. So it's not just in yeah. North Louisiana. Right. It's right here it's in close. our areas. Right. It's very close yeah. to us. And you're voting against your own self-interest by continuing to allow these corporate taxes to go unpaid and 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 we're we're keeping these corporations here but they're not contributing to the infrastructure of our state so once again i'm going to go back to voting <laughs> people i mean you see it's all tied right back to being able to get those individuals in those positions that have the same ideas that you have in terms of what what's important to you. If you don't start doing that, you know you know the definition of insanity. Yes, doing the same thing over again, well, expecting different results. Guess what? We're insane. <laughs> I'm finished. With it. I'm sorry. That's the only way to put it, Pastor. Yeah, yeah. and um, 
I, I'm, 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 I'm praying, I'm prayerful that, that we're going to come out of this, and, but even more so, we as a people, and going back to the church, uh, getting the church more involved, having the church to get, form more relationships with these uh, fraternities and sororities and these other groups that are out there that are basically trying to do the things that we've kind of, you know, that the church has kind of dropped. If we can do that, you know, it's just like to say we're stronger together than we are apart. I want our listeners to understand that uh, you're speaking as someone who's a part of the church. You're not speaking as someone who's outside the church. Oh, no. Uh, Oh, no. You're you're a member of of a local church in our community. Uh, You're active in your church. So you're not speaking as someone who's on the outside looking in. Oh, no. To me, that adds credibility to your statement because often I hear people shouting from the outside about what the church is not doing, but they don't know because they're not really a part of the church. But you are a part of the church. You're a part of a local congregation, and you're a part of the church community. And what you're saying, what I'm hearing you say is that the church needs to reassert itself in a leadership capacity within its community. Absolutely. And... Don't get me wrong, and you know I'm saying uh, a lot of things have happened within the church that is uh, church community through different leaders and organizations that have given us a bad name. But, you know, if the baby is dirty and you give it a bath, you're not going to throw the baby out with the bath water. Yes, sir. So what you have to do is you have to go in, you clean the baby, you take the baby out, you throw the bath water out, and then you proceed to move on. I think it's the same way with the church. Sure, you have some churches that have, and leaders who have taken advantage, but that does not negate the fact that those that are here, that are trying to do well, you should support them. You should get behind it. You should do the right thing. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if we're ever going to really get back to like it was when I was growing up. uh, my mother, my grandmother, my grandfather, my uncles, and we grew up in the church. That's that's what, and my mom tells me right now, you, the, you God got this whole thing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. She emphasized that God got this whole thing. Yes. Yeah. It's not. Uh, it, it, she always goes to uh, the song she was telling me the other day. He's got the whole world in his hand. Yes, sir. One other thing on that part, and and I. I you know, sometimes, you know, you wrestle with things in your head and you say, how in the world could or how in the world would God allow the situation that we're in now with the leadership that we have now? Mm-hmm. How would he allow that? Mm-hmm. Well, my mom also goes back and tells me, she says, remember with the children of Israel? Remember, the, remember they say they didn't want, oh, we don't want God to rule us. We want a king. That's correct. Be careful what you ask for. Yes, sir. Because you just might get it. Yes, sir. And My theory on 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 national the, the national leader, uh, Mr. Trump, is that he's the product of white anger. Uh, uh, eight years of the Barack Obama mm-hmm. administration, eight years of integrity. You might not have agreed with every position that he took, but there was never a question about his integrity. There was never a question about his professionalism. There was never a question about his preparedness. And there was not a scandal 
not a eight one. years of, of him serving as president. There was not a personal scandal. There was not a woman hidden behind a door somewhere. There was not money that came up missing no. somewhere. His children weren't caught in a club at the wrong time of night or doing something no. with some little boy in the White House. Eight years without scandal eight years of integrity, eight years of progress, and for some people, it was just more than they could deal with. And and and, and to to have voted, I, I tell people all the time, because we, we have this round table here almost every Sunday where, where members of my church tell me, they got him this time, Rev. He, he's gonna be gone this time, Rev. And I keep telling them, he's gonna get reelected. <laughs> he's gonna serve another term. I remind people, he did not just beat Hillary Clinton. He beat 16 other Republicans. Yes. People who were uh, known as being professional, as, as being experienced, uh, senators, governors, uh, representatives. That's right. Uh, he, he didn't just sweep the floor with Hillary Clinton. He swept the floor with 16 other Republicans sure as well, which is a statement that was made by a segment of this country that says we want something as far removed from what we had as possible. And they got it. And they got it. And we're the beneficiaries of, of that anger. Well, it, Pastor, you know, and I'll say it, my pastor says the same thing uh, to me that my mom pretty much says, you know, God got this. God got this. We have to pray for him. We have to pray for all our leaders, as we always have done. And that is not something that we have to be worried about. But we have to pray for him, and we have to move on. And we have to continue to do the things that we know is right. And voting is right. Yes. Voting is right. We also have to develop a strategy to make sure that we maximize the potential of our vote. And that is something that we find that is very fractured should I say, within the black community. Mm -hmm. uh, we don't always vote together. I, I guess I could put it more like that. We, we, we fracture ourselves off. We'll, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll go over here and do this, or we'll go over here and do that, or we'll sign. I understand that everybody has the right to run for an office. Mm -hmm. I understand that. Mm -hmm. But it takes some time that we ought to just say, you know what? We just need to get behind a particular person that we know is good for that position, that we know and vote for them and push them to the top. At least that'll help us get at least somebody in there we know that we got a voice. Yes, sir. Right now, we got good leadership. We got some good leaders now out there. They're, they're very good. I think we have some very good leadership. I just think that they, they're not enough. We need we need a little help. Oh yes. Oh now nah, you definitely got that's an amen for me. Yeah. Yeah. I agree with that. Yes, indeed. Last question. We are in June. Bayou Classic is in November. Oh gosh. Who's gonna win? There he goes. Now, <laughs> you know we were having a pretty good conversation, man. Now you're gonna put me on the spot with something like this. You know, I told you that that I'm I'm from both factions, so I do know. I, I can't even begin I to had predict lunch that. Yesterday, and, and, I, and I have lunch <laughs> once a week with with two friends, two pastor friends of mine. One is a diehard Southern Jaguar. One is a diehard Grammy Knight, and I have to listen to this back and forth all the say. time. 
and, and so I'm, I'm just asking someone who has covered uh, athletics on, on both campuses, who has a history of sports, who knows something about how the recruiting has gone, what's it going to look like in November this year? <laughs> No, you're not going to set me up for that. I'm not falling for that. I'm not falling. I'm well, not, I thought I I'm not going to fall for that. You're not going to put me into that. But I'm expecting it to be an interesting contest, and the best team will win. <laughs> That's about the safest statement as you could possibly make. There it Taylor is. Jackson, thank you so much for taking Thank the you for having with me us. with you. And thank you all for viewing. Thank you all for listening. Come back and share with us next time. Thank you. Thank you, sir. Appreciate right. it. All right. Appreciate it. All right. All right.